friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, and uh, it's Wednesday, so it must be uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Day. Uh, today I have a great show for you, um, something very interesting, I believe. Uh, the topic is uh, She Who Births, uh, Psychedelic Nature of Birth uh, with Alana Bliss. And uh, before we start chatting about that, uh, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, the band from across the pond called the Be Optimistic. And uh, that was uh, a single of theirs uh, called Maria, and it's kind of in tribute to uh, the goddess Mary, as uh, so many of us uh, uh, see Mary uh, as a, a divine uh, being or goddess or the sacred feminine. Um, so uh, going back to our show, uh, which is uh, a lot about the sacred feminine, as it, uh, as it usually is, uh, sometimes not so, so much, uh, sometimes more subtly, uh, Alana is going to tell us um, you know, why she believes uh, the sacred feminine is strengthened by uh, conscious birth and uh, also how embracing conscious birth changes the culture to support the rise of the sacred feminine. And um, let me tell you a little bit about Alana and how I, dis- how I discovered her. And I'm so glad to have her with me tonight. Uh, I know some of you were looking for her earlier in the month, um, and it turned out uh, we were not able to have her on the show on the date scheduled, uh, but we do have her tonight. So uh, we, we're very glad, as I'm sure some of you, uh, was, uh, that we were able to reschedule. But anyway, uh, Alana has um, been exploring solutions uh, to ecological, uh, social, uh, ecological, issues, social issues, uh, also holistic wellness, conscious birth uh, for over a decade. Uh, She teaches permaculture, she's a home birth doula, uh, she's an entrepreneur, and she's co-founded the Fruition Center for Holistic Ecology in Costa Rica and Green Guild's uh, Ecological Design in Minneapolis, where she lives right now. Uh, She incorporates holistic wellness and permaculture to design supportive relationships between we humans and nature, and um, she's had four empowering water births in her own home, and she enjoys raising her kids in a nurturing way. Uh, She and her family live in Crystal, Minnesota, where they grow fruit, veggies, they raise chickens and bees, and they inspire people to cultivate generative lifestyles. And uh, from Costa Rica to Minnesota, uh, Alana focuses on inspirational education and empowerment wherever she goes. Uh, Her website is greenguilds.com. That's greenguilds, G-U-I-L-D-S.com. And uh, I was so glad to discover her. uh, And I did by way of an anthology that um, made it to my mailbox, uh, sent to me by one of the publishers. I forget which one now. Uh, I'm going to let Alana tell you a little bit about the anthology, but um, it covered one of my uh, pet passions, one thing I'm really interested in, uh, sacred hallucinogens. And um, Alana had several essays uh, in that anthology, and I was so glad that uh, she uh, you know, could speak on, uh, you know, so many different aspects of, um, you know, of consciousness, uh, 
you know, unconsciousness, sacred journeys, uh, sacred hallucinogens. So anyway, uh, without uh, further delay, let me uh, uh, welcome Alana to the show and uh, ask her to tell us a little bit about that anthology. Uh, Alana, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. I'm really, really grateful. Um, Yeah, the anthology is such a beautiful contribution to the divine feminine because it's something that is often really shadowed is the psychedelics and um, the divine feminine in general has been shadowed over a long time. And so I'm really grateful to have been involved in that. And I actually met Chiara at Boom in Portugal. I did a, a speech there or not speech, a presentation workshop on uh, birth as a rite of passage. And we met there and just started talking. And over time, I, was, I started telling her about my experience with giving birth and how I had some psychedelic visions during those, and um, especially the first one. And that brought me really deeper into my passion for the divine feminine and the goddess in, in general. And so... I'm pretty grateful that that happened, and it's the first time I've ever been published, so I was really, really happy to be in that and to be in with other voices that are so knowledgeable and passionate about this topic, so thank you. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I could probably grab the book quickly, but off the top of your head, do you remember the title of the anthology? Uh, because I would imagine yeah. after we finish tonight, people may want to read um, what you've written, and, and tell us about some of your essays as well. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, um, so it's uh, Psychedelic Nature of the of the Feminine, I think. Oh, let me check in on that and get back to you for sure before the end. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But the, um, the one that I had in there was about birth as a psychedelic um, experience, and as I mentioned a bit about that, I, uh, I had my first child at home, and I treated it kind of like a conscious college. You know, I, I studied birth. I got into it. I learned about home birth. I learned about the biological experience that women go through. I learned about the pain body that surrounds birth. I learned about the different elements of things that I could do to help myself get deeper into it. And in that experience, I, I ended up having um, a moment where this fluid consciousness came into the room with me as I was birthing, and it was the presence of all the women that had ever given birth in the past, including animals, all that were with me in the moment, and all that ever would give birth. And it was this, like, divine presence that I could feel as real as anything else. And so in that moment, I just recognized that I wasn't alone and I was connected, and that I felt really passionate and strong to share this experience with others. And also, having had the birth at home and everything was beautiful, um, there were hiccups, of course, as there always are in birth, <laughs> because it's a rite of passage, and no rite of passage is easy. And um, and so I wanted to share that and express a little bit more about that and why why it happens and how we can cultivate this knowledge to take back the divine feminine, because a huge part of feminine consciousness is creation, or rather co-creation. And having um, an empowered way of seeing that and a way to go into it with courage and bravery and the support system to, to bring us through it in a um, graceful way, that's, I think, revolutionary to all of our cultures because so much birth has been stripped from women. Like the, the, the powerful part of birth has been stripped from women for a long, long time. And 
the history goes back to witch burning and midwives and being a critical target in that. And so I'm just super grateful to be able to have contributed that that aspect to this book. And um, and then also poems. I mean, I, I love the Divine Feminine, and I wrote a poem about that. And um, it's, a, I guess, a river from my heart of, of what the Divine Feminine is to me. So, and the psychedelic nature of that is just it's like the universe is like the dream. And as we dream it, that's kind of how we create it. And the more and more that we decide it and design it in ways in our society, I feel like we can create a revival of that feminine energy. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you a little bit about that. Um, first of all, um, you know, let me say up front that you're talking to someone who's never had a child. Um, so, you know, I, I, I can't share this experience with you, but, you know, I can, um, I, I certainly feel like I can learn from you as some of my other uh, listeners can um, sort of secondhand, uh, you know, as best we can. Um, so my first question is kind of two-pronged. Um, were you an advocate of the sacred feminine before you had this, I'm going to call it kind of a mystical experience that you described when you felt like you made this connection with all women or species who had given birth during that process? And I'm just curious, did you did you take some sort of sacred hallucinogen, um, you know, to, um, I don't know, sort of alter your state of mind going in because, I mean, uh, even if we haven't experienced birth, you know, we've seen uh, or, or heard about secondhand how, uh, how difficult it can be. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, um, you know, as a doula, is that something that's ever recommended? Okay, to answer your question, I love your question, thank you. I'd say the first one is, yes, I was definitely on the path of Divine Feminine prior to giving birth, uh, since, since I was young, since I was a teenager. Um, and I gave birth when I was 24. So uh, that that is definitely a big part of my path, and I think why I was open to receiving that mystical experience is that I've studied goddesses and um, of all cultures, not all, like, like have, <laughs> there's a lot of cultures, but many, many cultures. And um, so I was able to kind of uh, call on that strength of the divine feminine experience. Actually, I got pregnant right after becoming the Beltane Queen in Ashland that year, which was a really mystical wild experience as well. But anyway, um, so I had also explored plant medicine, psychedelics in general, prior to that as well, which honestly helped me so much in my ability to navigate because it felt to me a lot like like a like mushroom break or um, other things like that where you have a choice in a moment to choose to surrender and trust or to be afraid and fight it. And, and because I've been able to surrender to being in an altered state of mind and also having had the experience to feel connected to more than myself, um, I was able to navigate that space where it could be really painful, and is. I won't say it's not painful. Birth is very painful. <laughs> and it's that pain that I feel kind of um, guides us into becoming more of a, of a mother, 
But I feel like that pain also triggers powerful psychedelic experiences in your brain and body. And um, I did take some some marijuana beforehand. I had had some food. Uh, I think it's a brownie. <laughs> and so that helped me as well to be able to surrender, to trust, to trust, to surrender. And there was another moment when I was in it when I was laying down on a massage table and I was thinking to myself, I don't think I can survive this. I feel like I'm going to be torn in half. And during that moment, it was very, very intense. And my friend, who was a doula there, and um, my partner at the time, they were making food for me. And so they, I was kind of alone in that moment. And this voice of guidance came to me in that moment and told me that if I didn't move around and, you know, get up off of laying down, move my feet, spiral my hips, then I was going to end up in the hospital for C-section. And so I got up and I stomped my feet and I was listening to this African music, like drum, drumming music, you know, dance music. And um, and it was not graceful movement. It wasn't like all of a sudden I was a dancer. I was just stomping my feet, you know. And <laughs> in that moment, I was able to uh, to transcend the pain. And, and every time I stomped, I could feel the hormones flushing in of, um, of the... Uh, PEA and the dopamine oxytocin, stuff that was being released into my brain that, that gave me strength and um, helped me to move through it. So it was a powerful experience. So how many, ho- home. How, how oh, many hours were you in labor? How many hours were uh, you in labor? That was 15 years ago, um, the first birth, and I honestly don't remember it was a long time but see in in labor land as we like to call it um there's a a time it's kind of time sort of stands still as if when one is in shock right where like the moment the time is disassociated so in that space you're not super aware of time you're more aware of your breath and the subtle things that are going on your emotions play a really big part the um, support team that you have plays a big part. It's, it's painful, and so you end up having to cope. And when you're able to cope with a good team and trust, um, then the pain subsides. And not, not always, but it's just something that you can handle. And um, so I can't answer that question perfectly because I don't remember. Every birth is really different, and active labor so, like, labor starts where you start feeling the pain, like, like cramps from period. And, of course, they get stronger and stronger and stronger, and they, they kind of wave in and out. And so during that waving time, that can be days. And that's where you hear a lot about people saying, I was in labor for extremely long periods of time. And then also there's a time of active labor where it starts to transition where you stop opening, which is when you the contractions or your cervix dilating. And when you stop dilating, then you start the process of pushing. And that's the active labor part. So passive labor is get out of your own way, open up your cervix, and then active labor is push the baby out, right? And so um, during the, the passive part, I, I honestly also believe that there's a field that's generated from the mother's body. So when that cramping starts, there's a birth field that happens, and that's, that's a, like... Um, uh, has to do with the quantum physics and things like that where the field gets stronger in my mind. Like, what happens, I believe, is that during that field generation, it kind of thins the veil, and then that's when the souls can, like, enter in. So there, there's that 
as well. And that's part of where that continuum consciousness that I witnessed of all the women that were birthing is part of that whole process, which I don't understand completely, but that's just my, my theory. So, um, so yeah, anyway, time is different there. It's, you're disassociated, and, um, and it just goes until it's done. So let me ask you, um, the mystical experiences, the, the, those feelings you got, the message you got, you know, about getting up, moving, was that more to, in the passive experience, uh, the, the passive labor? Because I would imagine um, when, you know, when it's the, when it's the active labor, uh, you're probably in too much pain to let anything like that in, or, or am I wrong? Interesting. I, that's an interesting point. Um, I'd say, yes, it was definitely during the passive part, which is also quite painful. Um, actually, I don't think it's more or less painful in the active part. It's still, it's, still, it's still similar. I guess in the active part, it becomes more your, you have to, like, be in control of this movement now. And, and so it's less just surrendering and more, like, getting on to pushing. But the thing is, your body does it with it's your body does it. You don't have to do anything, really. You just have to be, allow your body to start pushing and to, like, go with it. So, like, having people tell you when to push and things is really, it's like, it's like sitting on the toilet and having to poop and being really constipated and having someone tell you when you want to poop and when you don't. And, like, they're like, push, you can do it, push. And, like, sometimes you just don't want people in there with you and you want to just have some space and do it on your own, let your body do what it needs to do. But then there also is that get out of your own way and let it, do, let it happen and push with it, you know. So some women, they don't push at all intentionally. They just let their bodies do all the work. And some women push with the body, and some women fight it. And, and so it's a whole, let's see. So, and also contractions are, it depends on the birth. Every one of them is different. In my first birth, they were right on top of each other. So there wasn't as much of that break between and when the break happened, it was all you do is just release and relax and completely surrender. And that's when the dopamine flushes happen. And like that's when the, the like full on like ecstasy stuff can happen. But um, in the in the active parts where you're like when when you're coping with the pain, that's when you just release and allow. And there's even you know some people believe that DMT is released during that time. Um, some people believe that um, that's the spirit molecule and that that's supports you as well through that process, which um, also helps get rid of the pain. <laughs> uh, Alana, Alana, um, make sure that you don't turn your mouth away from the phone because um, uh, just be real conscious of speaking into the phone and not uh, turning away from uh, the speaker, okay? Because we might have lost a few of those words. They, they were a little bit muffled. Um, so just a reminder, I know sometimes when we start to talk, you know, we become animated and we're involved in, you know, what we're saying. And, uh, you know, we, we, we move and sometimes we move away from the mic. So um, just make sure you're, you're speaking directly into the phone. Um, I, I do want to talk more about uh, your experience <clears throat> 
But um, I want to go back to something you said in the very beginning uh, because it may be a concept that uh, listeners have never heard before. Uh, you said that uh, women, I'm trying to remember the phrase you used, that we've sort of lost the empowering nature of giving birth. We've sort of surrendered it. And I think you mean we've surrendered it over to doctors. Um, and, and and I don't know, maybe you can remember the term you used, but I wanted you to speak to that a little bit um, because, um, you know, we always see, uh, you know, the doctors kind of, you know, schedule the pregnancies when they're not playing golf or, uh, you know, I mean, at least you hear these, these sorts of things. And, you know, when they have a woman laying down on a bed where more naturally she should be more upright so gravity can help. I know when we were in Hawaii, we saw uh, a birthing stone, and it was really interesting because it was this uh, slanted stone uh, where the woman would sit on the stone and the slant you know, kind of came out from, you know, her, uh, you know, from her vagina area so that the baby could kind of slip out and slip down the stone so she could use, um, you know, gravity. And, you know, women don't use gravity in the hospital now, I don't think. You know, they're just laying there. Uh, and anyway, so uh, you know more about it than me, obviously. Uh, I just know these tiny little tidbits. Speak to that if, uh, if you would. What would have women given up to uh, modern medicine in this process? That's a, yes, I'm really gra- grateful to talk about this. Uh, so it started during the witch burning when the most targeted women were midwives. And it was, there was a book out, um, and it was guiding the... Uh, Inquisition and the witch and the witch hunt, and um, it it was described midwife as being the number one threat. And I don't know if that was the beginning of Western medicine or not, but I know that during that time, seven generation of children watched their mother watch their mothers burn to stake for practicing medicine and for practicing herbology and for practicing earth connection, basically. And so that happened, which was a great erasing. In, in within Europe and, and the world because the colonization is all over. It's happened everywhere pretty much now. And so in that process of colonialism and colonialization, the traditional medicine way is burned out with, you know, with other means. But, and so and then there was a time as well that in Europe when they had only the poorest to go to the hospitals and they, they were treated horrendously. Like I've read stories about how women were treated in the hospital when there were rats and people were getting bed, bed, um, child bed fever from people, doctors, putting their hands into them when they didn't need to be and then touching cadavers and doing it again. And, and so they were actually transferring diseases and stuff to the birthing women in a really terrifying situation. And now it's in hospitals, but there was a time when, or it was different in hospitals now because what happened was it became the affluent that could start going to hospitals because they started finding um, ways to make women unconscious. So the twilight sleep happened for a long time. Um, and twilight sleep ended around the 60s. And what that was was a, a detura derivative drug that they would use and give to women, um, and ether as well during that time. They would give them to women and they would put them on these beds and they'd have uh, wool, uh, lamb's wool, like handcuffs, they would clasp their arms and feet down off the bed, and they would put um, oil-soaked cotton balls in their ears so that their, their own screams wouldn't wake them from this delirious state. And the Tura is a very 
disorienting hallucinogen, and the mother wouldn't remember afterwards what had happened to her. And the only people that knew what was going on were the people in the hospitals and people that lived near heard the screams. They didn't know exactly what was happening, but they knew it wasn't good. And so during that time, generations of women were, were birthing in this way and generations of children were being born in this way where the mother was literally strapped down and forceps were being used to remove her baby. And then they'd come back too. They would be in their chairs with the babies. They would suddenly have missed all the pain of childbirth and they would be raving to their friends how wonderful it was. And because it was an affluent thing, it was considered the way that we need to move in our society as, you know, towards these hospitals, no pain. And, well, once women started saying, hey, actually, I want to give birth consciously, like awake, not just consciously like the way we use it now, but actually awake, um, then we started to recognize the power of birth and also epidural became a thing where now you can be conscious, but you're going to get an epidural and you're not going to feel the movement of your baby through your pelvis, so you might care a little bit more. It might be harder for the baby to come out. You're going to be on your back because you can't sit up straight with an epidural because you're, you don't have feeling in the bottom of your body. And so that that's the new way of doing it, that we don't have to feel pain anymore. Um, but it's the fear of pain itself and, and, and honestly the entire pain body that exists around birth and in the birth field um, regarding, in my opinion, Western medicine. Um, and so I feel like that whole thing to me is terrifying and I just don't want to be a part of it. So that's why I've been birth in my home. But um, I, uh, I had my midwife don't check my cervix. Um, I don't have their fingers in me at all when I'm giving birth. I'm trusting my body. I'm listening to, my, listening to it. I pick midwives that know how to honor the process, basically sit back and wait and see if there's anything they can do to support. And I'm not a number when I have a home birth midwife. I'm a person. When she comes to my house, she gets to know my family. She gets to know my partner. It's a very different process. Whereas in the hospital, you, you have a doctor, um, and you see the doctor when you go to the hospital, and that doctor may or may not be at your birth. There's nurses that you may have never met that will be at your birth. Um, sometimes there's students that come in, depending on whether you've created a boundary around that. And then, of course, there's, um, there's you know, birth centers and other things as well. Unfortunately, insurance doesn't cover home birth midwives. So that's um, a lot of times something that people uh, use to determine whether or not they have a home birth. So when I give birth, I'm never going to lay down. I'm moving around, I'm squatting, I'm dancing, I'm on my hands and knees. Um, three of the births I have were on my hands and knees. The second one was mostly was in the water, so it was like I was kind of like floating, and then, then I went on to my hands and knees for that. And gravity helps when you're in that position. So the, the, the paradigm of um, the, the hospitals and giving our power away to doctors, to me, is disempowering culturally because it's teaching us during our limbic imprinting, during our very first experience in the world, it's teaching us that we need to submit our power to others and to doctors, and then that they'll help us, get us, save us, you know, through this experience. And then that the, oftentimes the cord is cut really early, and so the placenta hasn't had a chance to drain into the baby or to pump into the baby and get all the rest of the blood and antibodies that they, the baby needs and oxygen, because that's the biggest transformation of our entire life. We go from being completely connected to our mother, 
by an umbilical cord, breathing through her body to breathing on her own. And that transition needs delicacy. It needs time to unfold. It needs to be able to be honored. And when it's cut too early, it can cause asphyxiation in the brain, and it can cause babies to get autism even because they've had this trauma from, from not being, having enough air. So, and then just even if that doesn't happen, all the blood that has to be built, the baby has to build after that can make a weaker baby. Okay. Um, well, and I guess, um, you know, this idea of a home birth, um, I can see, you know, so many of the advantages. Um, but what would you say to the woman who's afraid, well, if something goes wrong, there isn't a doctor nearby, you know, if you hemorrhage or or something of that nature. Is that a reasonable fear or is that uh, you know, maybe something that's kind of just put out there to, um, you know, uh, disempower women and, you know, having this experience you're describing. Um, I would say that it's a wise precaution, and a good midwife knows exactly what to do during that experience. So I've, I've had that happen. Um, during my second pregnancy, my partner died, and during that process, um, I had to come to peace with the fact that I was going to be raising two children by myself and I was going to give birth by myself, essentially. I mean, with, with others, but in that parenting space, you know, space by myself. And in that, I held one of my placenta more, I think, because I was subconsciously connecting to it and not wanting to release it. And I bled a lot, like a lot. And I went into a seizure and I... Um, was in and out of consciousness, and that midwife that was there, she was carrying Pitocin, which originally was um, created to, well, maybe it wasn't, but from my understanding, it was created to uh, stop hemorrhaging from uh, the womb, the uterus. And so she gave me a shot of that, and then gave me a quote-unquote uterine massage, which is like basically she was, she was massaging my uterus to get the pieces out, and to ensure that I stopped bleeding. Then, after that, she, you know, I came back, consciousness, she fed me a really nourishing meal. She gave me um, chlorophyll, uh, tinctures, and I slept. And she held my baby for the whole night. When I woke, I nursed, and she asked me, before I fell asleep, she asked me, you've lost a lot of blood, do you want to go to the hospital? And I said, no, I don't. I just want to go to sleep, and I want. And she said, "Well, I'm going to stay here with you next to you because I'm feeling like you're healthy enough right now to do this, and I'm going to stay right here." She spent the whole night right next to me. Then, in the morning, in the morning when I was done with all that, I was like, started feeling better, and I had tons of chlorophyll, and I basically got all my blood back, and I never went to the hospital, and I had blood tests later, and everything was like totally fine. So, that's, wow. but that's me. That's me. Where I'm afraid of hospitals. So, you know, um, a good midwife will be there throughout the whole process. And that's, I, I don't recommend unassisted birth, personally, unless the person has had a lot of experience giving birth and or doing work on coping with pain in their life, physical pain. Um, I always recommend a midwife. Okay. 
All right, well, we're going to take a little break. Uh, we're at the half hour. And um, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, how you overcame uh, your fear of giving birth and uh, uh, some of the other uh, topics that, um, you know, we talked about uh, we were going to cover tonight, you know, what fathers can do to be supportive, uh, you know, in these more empowering births. Um, and actually, I'm not sure we covered um, how you began your journey. Uh, you know, how did this all start for you? Uh, so, so we're going to go there when we come back. And uh, But for right now, uh, for listeners, here's a clip from the trailer uh, for Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature, separate from the earth. I'm as much of the earth as a rock or tree. And I came out of this with my mother. Man, I out of the As long as we see the divinity is above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Uh, so just a reminder, Dancing with Gaia is available only at the website dancingwithgaia.com. That's dancingwithgaia.com. Um, so Alana, um, I, I'm, you, you've shared so much already, but I'm not sure you actually uh, told us uh, how you began this journey into um, conscious birth. Yeah, so I was on a train headed to to Ashland and then out to Hawaii, and I met a woman who was uh, on fire about birth. She was so excited, excited like spiritual fire, right? And she was talking about how she had just attended a home birth, and she was so, or maybe it was her birth center, but it was um birth, and she was so excited about how powerful it was. And she recommended a book called Spiritual Medicine. Um, by Ina Mae Gaston and Pamela Hunt. And so I read it, and that shared, that book was about these women who in the 60s decided that they wanted to be awake for their birth. And so they got on school buses and they drove down to Tennessee where they started an intentional community called The Farm, and they gave birth along the way at the farm beforehand. And it was their story. It was just very raw. And I, having read their stories, I realized I could do that. And my mom used to say that, you know, how it was really a painful experience for her. So I I was afraid of it, very much afraid of it. I did not want to have a baby. But then, you know, I heard stories and I started thinking, well, if I can do it at home, maybe, maybe I'd be up for it. And then I wrote a spoken word piece about it, and I started performing that um, in Hawaii through different opportunities. And I... I got then I went to I got um, called out to Ashland and so I went there just for a Beltane ceremony and became the uh, queen through this little ritual that we did and um, and then I got pregnant right afterwards and I knew that even though I was terrified to give birth I couldn't as the you know symbolic queen of Beltane not have a baby <laughs> in like going to a clinic you know and so I was like okay I guess I have to do this. So 
I went, you know, I moved to Ashland and I found a midwife and made a whole study of it and became um, knowledgeable about what I could do at home. I, I found a really supportive and good midwife and I had my first baby. And then I, I wanted to be a um, midwife after that and decided later that I would wait for my children to grow up before I became a midwife because of the hours. Um, so, so that's kind of how it all started. Okay, so so you would say uh, you overcame your fear then by um, it, it, by educating yourself, and then I guess the confidence that the uh, the midwife that you found uh, probably instilled in you that you could do this, and she would be there for you, and you weren't going to have to face the hospital, which made you nervous. Um, so would you say that's more or less how you um, overcame it, the fear? Yeah, partly. I'd say that's how I took on the courage to do it like this. Um, the midwife that I that I met, her name was um, Maureen Mitchell, and there was a moment when I was looking at, like, I was basically interviewing a lot of different people. I went and I interviewed everyone that was doing it, including doctors. And one of the doctors that I interviewed, she told me I could never have a home birth, that I was too high risk, and that I would not even go full term. And I left the hospital crying. And I went and I called the midwife that I felt most confident um, talking to, and I told her what the doctor had said. And she calmly spoke to me that she said, Paul, it's okay, you're going to be fine. You know, tell me what she said. And we, we went over the stuff that I told the doctor, and then she, told, she said, Alana, you can have a home birth. You'll be fine. I'm here. Like, it, you'll be safe. And sure enough, I had a full term over. I went over to on my first baby and had a perfectly healthy pregnancy with a perfectly healthy baby and a really beautiful birth. That's that's awesome. Well, I mean, I just recently had a situation with a doctor myself. I mean, boy, the wrong doctor can just scare the shit out of you. You know, excuse my French, but, um, you know, that's, a, that's a, you know, I think a really good indication that that's maybe not the doctor for you. <laughs> uh, at least that's, yeah. that's what I came away with, and I'm kind of hearing you maybe saying the, the same thing. Um, so what do you consider the most important um, in having a conscious birth? Uh, knowing that you're going to experience fear and pain. Um, they're really important because the, the basically how you're born is your last memory of how you're at, like, at birth. Um, so unless you've been at other births and had a chance to process your birth or done breath work and done you know, rebirthing work, you're basically going at it blind, right, except for what you had when you were born. So it's really important for people who want to give birth consciously to start thinking about how they were born, about what they believe about birth, about their, their basically their foundational perceptions of what birth is, and start shifting them. Because once they change their mind about birth and know that it can, it's actually a natural thing, your bodies are you know, kind of designed to do it or they're made to do it, and if you can trust your body, then you can have a beautiful birth. The, the key, there's key factors to helping you move through that. One is that trust is the trust and like the feeling of pleasure and sensuality and laughter and joy. Those emotions, they bring you to a, an easier, graceful, more graceful birth. Feelings of fear, um, those are like breaks 
they slow it down. That's the stress hormones, fight or flight stress hormones, which are there specifically to keep you in a safe environment. So, for example, if you were if you were being hunted by a, like a tiger and you're giving birth, then you're going to see the tiger and be afraid. So what happens is that the adrenaline picks up and it overrides the pleasure hormones that your body is starting to release to help you prepare. The biological dance is preparing you for birth. Um, the adrenaline stops that from happening and says you need to get safe, and it can even reverse the birth. So when a woman's well, afraid of birth itself, she's afraid of the process and fighting it the entire time. So looking at fear and, and identifying where am I, like how am I afraid of birth, what things about birth do I believe that are counterproductive to having a baby? And then when you start you know, um, identifying those, bringing them to light, thinking about them, processing them, and coping with them, then you can prepare yourself for the pain. And there's ways of doing that, like holding an ice cube or running, doing things that cause you to feel pain, but you know it's not going to actually harm you, and seeing how you can surrender and breathe into that. So those are a couple different ways that um, women can prepare for this. Well, you know, you, you've said something that triggered uh, a memory for me. Um, recently I was with some women friends who uh, had spent the weekend with some indigenous women, and uh, they were talking about how they prepare their kids uh, from a very early age to deal with fear. Um, they said the games that they play, um, uh, you know, sort of um, um, – put them in a place of, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know, not a dangerous fear, but uh, it, it raises their adrenaline. It gets them uh, in this, uh, you know, like a, a, a fearful state. You know, maybe it's, a, you know, the daddy is pretending to be a bear chasing them or something, or they're a small kid and, you know, the daddy throws them up in the air and catches them. You know, these little um, types of uh, examples of, you know, creating these moments of fear uh, teach them how to deal with adrenaline, and, um, and, and it makes them more courageous. It makes them less fearful. Uh, it makes them uh, be uh, not so afraid to take risks and maybe do some of the things that they have to do in life, you know, to stand up and be heard or whatever it is. And um, I don't know what you just said about doing these these little acts. Uh, it kind of reminded me about that uh, because I thought what these indigenous people were doing was so smart because then we don't become this fearful society, which it feels like we've become. And, you know, half the society has these enlarged amygdalas and, you know, they're afraid of everything and everybody and anything that's not like them, uh, you know, or is the other. And we end up with, you know, this uh, polarization, I think, that we have. And I don't know, maybe I'm connecting the dots between things that aren't connected, but they are in my mind anyway. Um, so I, I, I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's pretty incredible, um, you know, what you've just said, you know, these, these methods to help you um, you know, deal with the adrenaline, the fear that comes up. Because I'll tell you, the words you used, pleasure, joy, sensuality, uh, those are not words that I would ever think a mother would use to describe the act of giving birth. But it sounds like <laughs> it is possible under the right circumstances. 
it is not just possible. It's it's definitely um, a blessing that our bodies give us if we allow it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'd say that the, the same energy that put the baby in is the energy that brings it out. <laughs> and the more that we can we can surrender into and that goes into the divine feminine repression as well, like repressing sexuality, repressing sensuality, and allowing um, and making it sh- like shadowy and shamed. What happens is that when we're in the in the birthing field and nursing, we're so like shamed by this feeling of pleasure and sensuality that we won't even feel it when it can make us um, have really powerful experiences like giving birth. And the orgasmic birth comes from being so much pain and laughing and being like massage and dancing and like spiraling your hips on a yoga ball or drinking a really really good glass of tea or something where you're like activating you're activating these like sensual pleasure spaces that's the stuff that that can override the adrenaline and the pain and that's how you get through fear right you know that's like when <laughs> right when people are afraid they laugh <laughs> you know so not always but it's a good way and um I feel like also what you said about in like creating spaces of fear to be able to get over it. Yes, because we need courage is only born when we're afraid. We don't have bravery or courage unless we've been afraid. And that's a huge opportunity for us to become um, women and also men, like strong, like not not like overgrown children, right? We are now able to deal with with fear and cope with it and move through with it through it of all different times when we experience it and find bravery. And the same is true with, with pain. Having painful menstruation is, as a child, I, I believe, encouraging us to find ways to cope with pain as in labor, where we, we are going to experience that if we have a baby. So when we're having it, when we're, when we're young and when we're going to become pregnant, you know, or if we ever do, um, I think that's an awesome opportunity for us to be able to sink into pain and relax into it and let those, that serotonin and oxytocin and all these things that we have in our body that are there, like natural pleasure centers and painkillers, to let it come out and practice it. And then even when we're in yeah. situations where we have problematic pain, we can still do that. Well, and, and this is probably a good time for me to remind people it, uh, if they already knew about it, but if you don't look into it, uh, the Red Tent Movement. Uh, Deanna Lamb is one person that comes to mind. Uh, she's been in some of my anthologies. I think she might have even created the Red Tent Movement. And uh, and, and it helps women um, have a better relationship with their body, with their menses, uh, I'm sure with birth as well, um, because it seems seems like if you can do that early on, um, you know, you get rid of the shame. You you learn how to deal with the discomfort, like you said. You have a better relationship with your body. Then that will help you, uh, you know, in uh, in birthing and, and whatever uh, you might have to, um, uh, you know, whatever the challenges your body might present to you later on. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, so tell me, Alana. Um, I'm not sure we we actually covered this specifically. How do you see the sacred feminine strengthened by conscious birth? Well, strong women giving birth in their power is an incredible, incredible aspect to um, 
Hera, the divine feminine. I mean, that's the one thing the feminine has that masculine doesn't have, which doesn't make it better or worse. It's just one of those differentiating features is the fact that women give birth. And when we are in, and in doing so in an empowered state that gives us the opportunity to move in the world with courage and confidence and to have children that have these also have courage and confidence, uh, we, we're giving this rejuvenating factor to birth, I mean, to the feminine. And, you know, not that that's the only thing or, you know, the aspect that gives it the most power. It's just an, um, something that at the moment, birth is shrouded in fear and pain. And for us to bring light to the fact that that can actually be our greatest um, strength is, is pretty, pretty powerful. So, um, okay. yeah, I feel like that's a really <laughs> powerful point. Yeah, that, 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 makes, that, that makes total sense. And um, I, I don't know, I guess I would imagine once a woman does that, uh, she's never the same again. You know, I mean, she, uh, I, I don't know, it, it would seem to me once you've, once you've endured that, once you've given birth, then um, everything else must seem small. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is that, is that crazy? It is true. I, I believe it's a rite of passage that when you go through it, the mother is an initiate. And in the space of being an initiate, when she sees herself this way, she has to go into her biggest fears, her most powerful surrender. She has to open literally up to have a push a baby out which is quite an intimidating thing to do where you're pushing ahead out of your, you know, your yoni into the world. And you have to really surrender to what that means. And, and when you're able to do that, then the birth happens like a song, like a dream. It's beautiful. And that's the process in the fear like we've been talking about. And another initiate is the support, you know, whether it's male or female, the masculine role of birth is to be able to hold space, protective space, where if a woman is in this space going inside herself, she needs others to be able to hold space around to keep her protected. And the man or the partner who is going to be in that space doing that is an awesome asset. And that brings in his initiation, which is to be able to be protector of the family, protector of that sacred space. And he can help her by keeping fear away from her, things that are threats, whether that's people's words that are going to make her feel insecure or whether that's an actual predator. <laughs> he can hold space. And then he's, he's also able to see it when it's happening inside herself. And I, I use he as an archetypal form here, not to be gender biased, but um, that, that then that masculine energy can also hold her by asking her what she's feeling. Like, are you feeling afraid? If he notices that she is feeling afraid, he can touch her. He can massage her. He can tell her he loves her. He can be there for her. That partner can be there to support and, and, and draw her into her greater strength. And that's another really powerful rite of passage. And during the pregnancy, when she's pushing him away and pulling him back and being emotional, <laughs> because that's what we do, as we journey towards this inevitable pushing a baby out, you know, um, that's when he gets to learn unconditional love and keep coming back and not taking it personally and returning back to love. And that's another rite of passage. Like the masculine rite of passage in this or the partner rite of passage in this um, is also needing to be revived. And, and then the baby's rite of passage in this process is pure innocence, coming into a world of trust, like completely trusting, being actually 
created by these experiences, by what she's experienced in the womb, by what the baby's like feeling from the mother and father while while actually being created in the womb, while being formed in the womb. That that's a big rite of passage in itself. It's like every time life happens, it's like asking us, are we going to evolve into our creative potential or are we going to continue to be afraid? And and then, and then, of course, when we're pregnant, we feel fear, and there's no perfect way to do it. It's authentically what it is. We are reflections of our world. And when we're reflecting the world around us, it, it, it's just what it is. And we have the opportunity to be able to cope with it and direct it based on our consciousness. And that's what conscious birth is about. Whether it's done at home or in a hospital, it isn't as important as how it's done internally and also within the birth field that's happening. Okay. Um, well, we're coming to the end, and um, I'm wondering, is there uh, anything um, I haven't thought to ask you that you believe listeners um, should hear? Uh, any books that they might want to read if they are about to embark, uh, you know, on this journey themselves? Um, what, what would you, you know, uh, what else is there would, you know, you uh, think would be helpful for them to know? Yes, definitely. I think that the Birthing from Within books are really powerful because it's a guide for how to look inside and find your your strength. Um, the, you know, was it the Ina May Gaston book, the Spiritual Midwifery book, um, those are really powerful. Uh, well, Peggy... Well, it's like some, oh, I forgot that one, but it's a really good holistic book, and I'll I'll put it maybe in the comments. But um, yeah, I I want people to know basically that they are powerful, and that they have the ability to overcome fear. We all do. Um, it's a part of us. And when we encounter fear, and we we have the opportunity, just like on a psychedelic adventure, when we're experiencing that medicine, we have the opportunity to make a choice. Every moment we're making a choice. Are we going to choose to surrender to the greater flow and to go with the medicine? Or are we going to fight it in fear and cling to our realities and try to hold on to that bank of, of like the river of consciousness? We're holding on to the bank of it. When we let go and we trust that we're in it and it's okay, that's when, that's when we can start to navigate the flow instead of pretend that we have control. And so with birth, it's a huge part of that is being able to trust the sensations that are arising and, and then be able to navigate it. Like, like as if there's a wave coming. There's waves coming towards you. And I like to, you might like, I visualize that there's a tidal wave coming towards me sometimes with the, with the sensations of birth. And when it's coming, do I dive deeper into it or do I run away from it and get humbled by it? When I dive into it, I have the ability to navigate it. So when I'm feeling pain in my body, like practically when I'm giving birth, and I feel this pain, I put all my attention to that pain. I sink into the pain. I breathe into the pain. And that's what releases the hormones in my brain. When I fight it, I try to run away. I pull up into my head. Then it hurts more. So that's some practical advice that I've experienced with my last birth, at my fourth, with my daughter here at our house. I really spilled that out of it. Is that when I had it, when I had the pain coming, I felt it. I put my presence there, and that brought my baby to me so um, gracefully. Okay. 
Um, awesome. And um, uh, were you able to uh, get that title of the anthology? Is it uh, is it nearby to tell listeners, or um, is it yeah. out of reach? Because uh, I realize I don't have it here in my library. I have it here. It's it's the psychedelic mysteries of the feminine. Okay. And um, you had a couple a couple chapters in there. Um, was there anything else you, uh, I mean, we don't have long, but just briefly, was there, uh, of your other essays that are in there, uh, maybe you could just tell listeners what the topic was, and uh, maybe they'll go get the anthology and see what else you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I- what happened was I gave a presentation on this, and then I didn't put the book back, so I don't have it on me. But the the poem is an it's it's basically just gratitude to the divine feminine and this, this psychedelic nature of it, and being able to connect more with the mysteries to me is the way that we embrace the flow of the universe. <laughs> so okay. uh, I I wish I had this book written. Well, Alana, thank you. Thank you very much, and um, uh, I appreciate uh, what you shared uh, with listeners, and uh, I know uh, many of them were sorry uh, we didn't uh, do this earlier in the month, and they will, uh, I'm I'm sure, be listening tonight, and uh, uh, your website again, if uh, you want to uh, leave that uh, greenguilds.com. Is that more about your permaculture work, or uh, does it have anything about this particular topic there? It's about the permaculture work. Um, so Green Guilds is the ecological design company that we we work with here or created here in Minneapolis. And then also I wanted to mention the Fruition Center in Costa Rica, which is the fruitioncenter.com. Uh, that's uh, the retreat center slash volunteer permaculture community that we um, initiated in Costa Rica that's been run by a great group of people now, uh, Fruition Center. Green Guild is the uh, business room in Minnesota. And uh, just a quick question about uh, the, the four water births. Uh, those weren't your births. Uh, those were uh, people that you've been a, uh, a midwife to? No, no. All four of those were mine. I've had, I have four children, um, and I've had four water births. I've been at other births that uh, I've attended, some of them being in water, some of them not, not as a midwife, as a doula, which is a support. There's a difference. Midwives um, are trained and have either apprenticed um, with a midwife and followed their shadowed them for a long time, or they've learned other ways um, through, like, schools or training. Um, doulas are women that want to support a birthing mother. Emotionally and and with nurturing, like teas. So a doula wouldn't be the one that would be trained to uh, help if you had some emergency. Uh, She's she's more in a support capacity than um, the let's just call it the the medical expert on site. Yep, midwife or or doctor, medical expert. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. And I'm just curious, the the water birth was that? Um, I, I mean, was that like in a you know a pool, or is or is that something women just do in their bathtub, or how was that accomplished? So we, there's um, an aqua doula was what we used last. It's basically a tub that you open up and then you put a liner inside of, and it's got a heating pad, 
and it keeps the water, the temperature, the right temperature for the birth, and it gives space for the papa to get in there or, or kids or whoever, but mom, mom is in there for sure. And um, I quickly want to mention as well that uh, it's, for me, I find it to be most beneficial to get into the water during the active stage of birth when I start the need to push. Before that, it can slow my, it can slow my labor down more. So that's just a quick logistical thing. Um, the, the passive part of birth, I like to be move, moving around. And then the passive part of, or the active part of birth, I like to be in the tub. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Um, well, Alana, thank you. And um, uh, I, I appreciate you being on the show tonight. And um, I hope folks uh, take a look at the anthology. There was uh, a lot of great contributors in there uh, talking about this uh, topic of the, uh, the sacred feminine and psychedelics from a lot of different angles. And uh, it was a very interesting book. Um, so uh, appreciate what you're doing out there and the, this uh, information you're sharing to help women uh, regain their power. Yes. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's super important. Um, all the different aspects of the divine feminine or the sacred feminine are so important, and I honor each of them. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. All right, then. Uh, good night, and uh, stay cool. I'm sure you're baking there in uh, in uh, Minneapolis, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you so much, and you also stay cool. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Good night. Bye. Good night. Um, bye-bye. Uh, well, I hope you've enjoyed that, and, uh, and definitely uh, look for the book. And just a reminder, uh, next Wednesday uh, I will be back uh, with you, and I have an interesting topic. I haven't spoken about it in quite a while. Um, I'm going to have uh, Den uh, Poitras with me, and uh, we're going to be talking about parthenogenesis, women's long-lost ability to self-conceive. Um, I know if you're uh, within the goddess movement, uh, you probably have heard about that sort of thing before, I would imagine, if you've been around a while. Uh, you know, maybe you haven't if, um, uh, if you know, this is a, a new topic for you. So I invite you to uh, please definitely uh, be here next Wednesday when we talk about parthenogenesis. Uh, and that about uh, does it for me tonight, dear listeners. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for your listener loyalty. Uh, as always, you are the gas in my tank. Um, good night. Stay cool. And until next Wednesday, bye-bye.